So the Hornets play their first game since LaMelo Ball fractured his ankle. How did the offense look? Plus, it was KD's debut with Phoenix. We'll discuss all of it today on Locked On Hornets. We're Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. It's Locked On Hornets, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I uh, couldn't keep it together. It, right, right, right before the graphic unveiled all of us, me, Doug Branson, Nick Carboni. I mean, photo finish, just phlegm session from Doug, where it looked like he was about to die, or it sounded like about? he was about to die. Nothing. It's all good. I, I didn't mean to call you out, but at the same time, you've called me out for the past two weeks, so zero problem here. It's Lockdown Hornets. Thanks for making us your first listen. We're free and available anywhere you get your pods, and that includes YouTube. You heard the guest, Nick Carboni. Find him on Twitter, at Nick Carboni, WCNC. We appreciate the time once again, Nick. Um, it's going to be kind of tough to talk about this Hornets offense without LaMelo, but we can start off with some good news that LaMelo Ball did undergo successful surgery. That news drop happened from the Hornets during the game, like what, five minutes into it, <laughs> 10 minutes after the game actually started. But as long as it's successful, that's a-okay with me. Uh, what have you been hearing at least with you being the integrity journalist around these parts while we just <laughs> don't do that kind of thing? What have you been hearing within the Charlotte Hornets organization and uh, just kind of how all of this happened post fractured right ankle for LaMelo? Yeah, I think my biggest question even before the fractured right ankle was what is going on with LaMelo's ankles in general? I think he had three sprains of that mm -hmm. left ankle over the course of preseason throughout the regular season. And that's why he missed all the time he did before. Now he's going to miss the final 18 or 19 games or whatever it is. So is there an issue there that needs to be looked at going forward? I asked Steve Clifford after the game, just about the fact that he's got four significant ankle injuries. Now I know the fourth one is a different injury. It's to a different ankle. What has he seen from the training staff, um, you know, trying to prevent these things? And I didn't ask it in a way that's, you know, pointed towards the training staff because I know a lot of people, you know, as soon as similar injuries crop up a few times, want to jump to that. But I think LaMelo, his team, this team needs to take a real look at what happened with the ankles in the 2022-23 season and prevent that from happening going forward. Uh, looked at a lot of what Steph Curry went through early in his career. I mean, he had a handful of ankle sprains in the first couple of seasons, knocked him out for a good chunk of time. He had to go through a lot to come back from that, and I hope that's not the path that LaMelo has to take. But if it is, you know, Steph Curry turned out okay. It's just, is is that what's going to have to happen? And what Steph Curry had to eventually do after having successful surgery, which was later deemed unsuccessful, he had to have a So it happens is what you're saying? Yeah. Sometimes the unsuccessful happen. surgery happens? Okay. <laughs> successful, it means, you know, he got through it. They did it on the right ankle, and it, it looks good. It's a fracture also. I, I'm not a doctor, but that's a simpler fix than, you know, tendons, ligaments, uh, you know, other things that you could do to that part of the body. But he had to undergo, uh, you know, full ankle reconstruction. I don't think, you know, we I haven't heard anything like that is coming down the pike for LaMelo. And as far as I know, I mean, what was it was his wrist, his rookie year. Yeah. So, you know, it, it wasn't like this was happening and happening and happening the first two seasons. 
but it happened enough this season to warrant some concern. And I think at least taking a, a better look at trying to prevent it from happening in the future. It's a good point. The fact that it just all hit us right in the face this season. And I believe in Steph Curry, that kind of happened over the course of multiple years, right? That happened the, the first, first couple of years to him. Yeah. So I, I don't, I don't know what to make of that. We just know that once it happened preseason, boom, three ankle sprains, one ankle uh, getting fractured on the other side. Yeah. It's a huge problem. Anything to take away from the successful surgery part here and the official confirmation we kind of touched on yesterday, Doug, but he is going to miss the last 19 now 18 after the uh, Phoenix uh, Suns loss. Well, we know if, I mean, if there's any player that's going to be able to come back from this, uh, it's going to be a player who is obsessed with basketball and that's LaMelo ball. He's obsessed with basketball. He's going to want to get back on the floor as soon as he's healthy, get back in the gym and and restore this ankle to 100%. And now, you know, he gets a – there's no pressure at this point to get back on the floor. I think that's super important. Now he can focus fully 100% on getting back – getting that ankle, getting both ankles really back to 100%. So that's super important. I think the, the interesting thing on the Clifford point that Nick made about the training staff, because he was – Clifford was very quick to defend the training staff. Like, we've got a top-notch training staff – I think what's interesting about that is that, you know, the the training staff's job, I think, is to maintain players while they're actively playing with the organization, you know, in season. That's probably different than how it used to be where a team's training staff was really responsible for helping players, you know, all through the calendar year where the training staff was the, you know, the main conduit for a player and a team. But now, you know, all these players, you know, especially during the offseason, have their own training. They, especially the top, top tier players, have their own training staffs uh, that are working on their bodies when the team really has nothing to do with it. You know, and I think that there are some questions about, you know, is, is LaMelo, is his strength around his ankles and his legs, is it strong enough? And I don't, that's to me, I don't know that that's a, a question that a team's training staff can totally answer because these guys have their own people and they're responsible for their own bodies. So I think it's a, it's an important uh, story to pay attention to. Uh, how, how does his body develop to counteract some of these injuries that he's gotten early in his career? Well, I haven't heard that either, right? I, I don't know. Has there been something about LaMelo having his own camp and, and Kawhi Leonard-esque, if you will? Like, I, I don't know if I've heard anything like that. I haven't that. heard anything, like, medical-wise. Right, um, right. But, you know, I think, you know, I think Doug kind of alluded to it, development, strengthening, making sure that part of the body uh, is good. Take it back uh, to Steph Curry again. Another thing that he did was – he and his kind of team of people away from his team figured out how to put, take the pressure from his ankles right. and move it to a different part of his body. Not saying that's what needs to be done here, but it, I think what Doug is saying, it's a great point and it translates to every part of LaMelo's team. And he certainly got other people around him uh, that are kind of helping him through this process. If he does, if he does, I don't know if he does or not. If he doesn't, maybe, maybe that's something to look into. I don't know. <laughs> Oh, yeah, no. And I'm I just, just saying that's more con what I'm saying is it's more I think it's more complicated than just pointing fingers at a training staff. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Well, yeah, I mean, and right. And I understand why Steve Clifford would defend it. And let's not forget the other point is, you know, the training staff, they did clear LaMelo ball the second sprain that he had this season and LaMelo did not want to come back. And so this is not a training staff 
that or a coaching staff or an organization that's forcing him to come back. LaMelo decided that he wasn't ready. And so maybe that was informed by camp. I, that was just a legitimate, ignorant question on my part. I just don't know. So, you know, that that's that's I accept what your ignorance. Yeah. You know, it's and it's, claim uh, my own ignorance. Nick's so, Nick's the one over here doing all kinds of ankle research. Let let him he's the, you know, he's the doctor. Research, he's a doctor of this podcast. Let him answer it. Well, and he was talking about, you know, applying pressure not on the ankles, but it was actually on the hips is what Steph Curry was discussing at the beginning of this at it's the beginning of his career. The hips. It's all in the hips. And there you go. With that, we can move on to the next segment coming up next on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. Don't go to sleep on the Hornets just yet. Let's discuss the offense and how they can manufacture some points. Without LaMelo Ball, it is going to be difficult. But Steve Clifford did have some comments after the game, trying to help that end of the court. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel. It's the post-All-Star break portion of the NBA season. And now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet does not win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, it's secure, and it's super easy to use. And then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and threes drained. Don't miss the chance to get your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. More to come. Locked on Hornets. Is locked on Hornets. I know a lot about the weight room. I know a lot, ton, ton about the weight. I, I, I don't, I don't lift a lot of weights, uh, but I do kind of stand around the weight room. I sort of, I kind of. Are you using that? Are you, you're good. Okay, good. Okay, good. Yeah. And you know, no, I stand I around the weight room a lot. Do you have the high socks and the headband on with your hair tied back? Oh yeah, big like white tube socks for sure. Yeah, yeah. headband. Yeah, I've got it all. I've got yeah, big he- these shows. big he- these headphones right here that you see me wearing on YouTube right now. I take these into the gym. <laughs> I just you know it's about looking professional. You got to look the part, right? Dress for the job that you want. That's how I feel about how I am in the weight room. It's time for more of the Locked On Hornets podcast. I saw a stat Rob Longo tweeted out yesterday after the Phoenix Suns loss. And Rob Longo works for the Hornets. You can hear him on the Hornets broadcast, WFNZ 92.7 FM. But Rob Longo tweeted out that it was the ninth time the Hornets had not reached 100 points this season. Eight of those games included a LaMelo ball absence. And we've gone through the numbers before when LaMelo is off of the floor, the offense tanks. It is atrocious. And we've discussed just quite a bit how good he is individually. And Steve Clifford credited his shot creation, him being able to come up with a couple of shots when the offense bogs down, but also, of course, creating offense for the entire team, allowing the best to come out of Mark Williams and all these other players. So he discussed trying to manufacture some offense, having Gordon Hayward be a pick and roll ball handler. Terry Rozier was hitting some tough shots early, but it's the kind of shot where you just tip your hat off to Terry Rozier and understand that's not something that can consistently happen throughout the course of a game because he's just going, it's too physical, right? Like it's, it's impressive, but people are draped all over him. He's doing everything he can. So the, the, where we're sitting, we're sitting baseline. He's doing everything he can just to create space physically, you know, getting downhill and then hitting tough shots. It was the first quarter where he was hitting really tough shots. And if that's what you're going to have to bank on, 
in order to score a bucket, I mean, it's going to be tough to get to 100 points. Nick, what did you notice from the offense last night? I will, I'll even go back to the Detroit game when LaMelo went out. I mean, there's all sorts of analytics behind the pace and the points between when LaMelo is on the floor and when he's off, but it's also right there in front of you. It's the eye test. And it was immediate against Detroit. They had this big lead. He goes out. I'm sure some of it was like, okay, LaMelo's out again and kind of rattled them. But the offense immediately went kaput. I mean, they were a complete mess. Detroit got back into that game, and Charlotte had to kind of rein itself in and settle finally to put that game away. Against Phoenix, I mean, it was just what we noticed, you know, the first 27 games or whatever it was that LaMelo missed. The pace isn't there. Uh, the, you know, ability to get the ball around the floor, spread it around, isn't there, dribble penetration and kicking it. I mean, just the things that LaMelo does and you can't replace. And oh, by the way, he's also hitting shots from outside. And that's a problem when he's not on the floor as well. So you're right. You see Terry Rozier and Kelly Oubre basically just making up ways to get buckets at times. And honestly, being kind of impressive doing it uh, when they're not hitting threes, you know, they're able to take it to, to the cup, take some difficult shots, finish some of them. But you know, it's going to result in games that you're not scoring 100 points more often than not over these last 18. Yeah, Doug. I mean, Nick was talking about the shooting LaMelo provides and Kelly Oubre, Terry Rozier, as much as you rely on them offensively, three of nine from three point range, three of 10 for Kelly, three point range as well. Gordon Hayward went three of eight. So the shooting is also something that they're going to be missing from LaMelo. Yeah, and, and I'll go to something that Steve Clifford said after the game. Like, they're not going to score 135 points without LaMelo Ball, but <laughs> they're probably going to score more than, what, 91. Like, I think they're probably capped at around 115. Maybe they get a little bit more than that if everybody is firing on all cylinders. But you're, you're obviously missing LaMelo Ball's scoring. He was scoring about 25 points a game over the past six or seven games. And sometimes he does that efficiently, and sometimes he does that inefficiently. But when he does it inefficiently, he's also assisting a lot. You know, he's also making other players better, so you're missing that. When you miss LaMelo Ball, though, really, you're missing some of the knock-on effects, or really, th things start to domino, and you, you make changes because LaMelo's out, and I think that hurts your offense. I'll give you one example. Gordon Hayward was 5 of 14 in this game, 3 of 8 from the field, 15 points. But I didn't think he looked anything like the Gordon Hayward that we saw the past couple of games with LaMelo Ball, who was aggressive, getting mid-range, open mid-range shots and knocking them down. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that when LaMelo's out, they've got to look for more people to be shot creators for others. And, and I think so, to me, Gordon Hayward was focusing more on moving the basketball rather than shooting the basketball. So that's going to take him out of his rhythm. Obviously, Terry Rozier has to play point guard. You move Kelly Oubre because you don't have P.J. Washington. you got to keep J.T. Thor in the starting lineup. So you move Kelly Oubre off the bench. Well, now all of a sudden the bench is back to that anemic offensive bench that we knew when Kelly was out. I mean, you got eight points from Dennis Smith Jr. Bryce McGowan's only added three, uh, four from Kai Richards, and two from Nick or Kai Jones, and two from Nick Richards. So all of these sort of domino effects happen when LaMelo's out on the floor, and that's because LaMelo is, is a super important player to what they do.
Well, and, and Steve Clifford talked about when when PJ Washington comes back, that is going to help a considerable amount. And then I think with him included, that's where you're trying to hit 115. I mean, even with PJ, you don't hit 130, but without Lamelo and PJ, that's when I think you can hit the 115. Yeah. And he was on the incline there. I mean, he had been scoring 20 points in four straight games, five of the last six, shooting really well. We were on the up and up on the PJ coaster that can be what he experiences throughout the season. So him coming back will help. And Doug, I mean, they're they're just running pick and roll a ton with Gordon and, you know, Terry a little bit, too. Um, but Mark Williams is setting a million screens. And that's something Steve Clifford talked about after the game, saying their pick and roll numbers are actually good. Um, if you go back and look at the numbers now, I did not check him on that. But the pick and roll numbers are good with Mark Williams setting screens for whether it is Gordon Hayward, certainly LaMelo Ball being the primary ball handler there. And so, Nick, I'll ask you, just with Gordon Hayward, his play, had, I don't know if it's gone completely unnoticed. We've talked about it a little bit, but he had been playing a lot better recently. You know, and Doug kind of credited LaMelo for some of that help. But how big is Gordon Hayward going to have to be down the stretch here to finish with any kind of competency offensively? Yeah, I mean, just in terms of, you know, settling the team over these last 18 games. And I think when I point to that Detroit game and the team got rattled and the offense kind of fell way off without LaMelo, I think Gordon Hayward was one of the guys that kind of, you know, took the reins and and helped the team get to the finish line. I think he's got the ability to do that, you know, as a leader and as a player as well. Um, yeah, it has been nice to see. It seems like since the trade deadline and, and all of that was kind of settled and we knew Gordon Hayward was going to be here. He knew he was going to be here. I'm not sure how much, you know, chance there was of him not being here or how much he thought uh, things might change for him. But it does seem like things have settled since then. Uh, he's he's been hitting shots. He has been efficient, and uh, he's been doing the things. And when healthy, that you know they they talk about uh, in terms of being a connector and being somebody that can um, you know professional bucket getter from a certain spot. Man, I mean that guy has his spot. He has his shots. Yeah, and uh, he he makes them more often than not when he's healthy. And I just think the the ball handling from Gordon it kind of goes to show you, Doug. Before we move on, I just. Yeah. When when Lamelo's out, man, it it goes to show you the lack of depth this team really has playmaking, and right. and and it was nice. I mean, I and that you know when when I was not frustrated, but when I when I thought this team would get worse without Devonte, it was because I thought Devonte Graham was a really good passer on top of the shooting, and eventually the shooting mm -hmm. kind of went away. But having both of those guys in the backcourt to play make for others, I thought that was valuable. It's why I would value another point guard here. It's why I like Dennis Smith Jr. Offensively, even though we just know the shooting, it's not there for him. And so that really hurts. But think about all the other players, right? Gordon Hayward is your next best option as a passer. And it's mm -hmm. not close. It's not. Mm -hmm. After that, who else do you trust? Terry Rozier is some combo, but we know that he's not a point guard. Whew, it gets tough. I mean, well, it, so go ahead. Yeah, well, I mean, and, and that's, you know, I look at this game and I think back to that Detroit Pistons game, not the last Detroit Pistons game, but the one bef uh, two before that when they went to, or no, I'm sorry, yeah, the one before the last one. When they went to OT, when LaMelo had just come back and then he fouls out, and then in overtime, Terry Rozier and Kelly Oubre kind of take over, but they don't take over in a good way. They take over in a bad way. They just dribble the air out of the basketball and they turn it over and they lost an opportunity to win that OT game. 
that kind of happened at several points in this game where they really couldn't grab momentum. I think back to the third quarter when Mark Williams had that great chase down block on Chris Paul, and then they bring it up the floor and Kelly Oubre takes this ill-advised shot early in the shot clock, the three-pointer that led to a Booker easy dunk. And you could just see Clifford going, ah, like that's not that's not the play we want. There were multiple times where Kelly Oubre and and Terry Rozier, they're feeling the pressure of having to replace LaMelo Ball. I think they've got to find some ways where it's not one guy or two guys trying to take over. They're running the offense through multiple players. I mean, Bryce McGowan's only got two shot attempts. You know, I, I think there's got to be more for him. I think I think there has I understand why you want Gordon Hayward doing more ball distribution opportunities because LaMelo's out, but I think you, you've got to feed him in, in better places as well. So, yeah, I mean, I, and obviously we, we, we speculated that it was going to be tougher for Mark Williams offensively without LaMelo. He was 4 of 10. Like, there are a lot of yeah. problems that they have to work through without LaMelo. But, but I think yeah. one of the problems they have to figure out is, like, how do we keep this from being Terry Rozier and Kelly Oubre trying to play hero ball while at the same time understanding that both of those players have to score and have to play well or the offense will be terrible. Yeah, let's finish up some of the observations, including Mark Williams, coming up next on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. Don't go to sleep on the Hornets just yet. Young guys are getting run, and we can discuss a little bit more about what Steve Clifford had to say after this game against the Phoenix Suns. One more segment, Lockdown Hornets on the uh, Lockdown Podcast Network. Is Locked On Hornets. Are we sure that, like, everyone interprets a handful as five? I, don't I think, think so. so. Honestly, I would I'm, say a handful is normally five, but I would agree. four is acceptable. What's my whole five things in my head? Look, one, this is a pen, a book, I got okay. a phone. Yeah, you're, you guys are actually right. It's getting pretty full. Yeah, here's a cable. Five. Okay, that's five. That's five. And here's right, a coffee cup. What else? It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. All right, we got to do our Mark Williams hit every single day. It, it was kind of the it, he has filled the Lamelo Ball quota, where we have to talk about Lamelo, deservedly so. But now we have to talk about Mark because that's the exciting part of this season—the first round pick entering the rotation and playing well, despite clearly having some of the rookie problems that every first year player goes through in the association. You're right, Doug. I think last night offensively. You can tell just how much LaMelo helps Mark Williams. You know, not many lobs, you know, there's in the pick and roll. There's not a whole lot of created space for Mark because people are worried about LaMelo ball on the pick and roll. This is what I felt about Mark Williams the entire time. He just doesn't dive hard right now. And I don't know how much of that is waiting for the decision to be made by the ball handler. I, I, I just I want to watch Mark really explode out of the gate after the screen is set. And I just feel like it, I don't know how much of that is just a lack of athleticism because that's, I mean, for his size, Mark is pretty quick. You know, I, it's just when you're seven foot seven, one, maybe he's just not rolling to the rim as fast as, you know, some of the six ten athletic lob alley-oop guys that sometimes you can see in the pick and roll, but I want him to explode out of the gate a little bit more. Did see pick and pops, a couple mid-rangers that were just nothing but net, man. That guy has a really nice touch. We've seen it all season. Saw a couple there. So two of the four made field goals were pick and pops. What did you make of Mark Williams' performance, Doug? I thought it was really good. I mean, you know, 4 of 10, it wasn't a great offensive night, um, but I thought he had some moments there where he was showing you his range. 
And the range is important because they were they were sinking down. And again, oh, yeah. that's the that's the knock on effect of not having Lamelo Ball. Is the teams we saw this early in the season when he was out. Teams were like, oh, okay, we're just gonna make you shoot because we're not we're not gonna let you get to the rim because we don't think you can shoot. And so Mark Williams having that shot, I think it's giving us a little bit of a glimpse into a future where he could knock down threes at some point. But I thought the best play from Mark Williams was in the third quarter. Uh, when there was a pick-and-roll play for Mark Williams. He rolls, he grabs it from Terry Rozier, and then he kicks it out to the corner for mm-hmm. three. And, and to me, that's the next level for Mark Williams. It's about him getting, getting the roll and, and being effective at the rim. But if he can kick it out to the corner effectively like that and see the court a little bit better, that's, that's going to be huge. That was a great play. Look for it. 5-12 in the third quarter. Mwah! I- I don't want to do this thing for Mark's entire career where we compare him to Jalen Duran. It's going to happen subconsciously. I don't want to do it, though. I will say, during the pre-draft process, when I really liked Mark Williams, but liked Jalen Duran better, one of the big gaps was the passing ability. And Mark has shown you in the last couple of games, the dude can dish some dimes out there. Against Detroit, there were two, and including the one that LaMelo got hurt on. And then you mentioned the corner that Mark Williams is starting to look for. It's starting to come together pretty damn quickly, just like every time we've seen Mark from start to finish, the guy always improves. Nick, how impressed have you been with Mark Williams' play, and just how much do you think he's going to have to be a factor down the stretch for this team? Yeah, I think you said it right there, Walker, is you are watching a player get better in real time. And this time, it's been a tough season. He obviously wasn't in the mix for the first part of this season, uh, but you're seeing whatever was part of the development early and what is still part of the development, you are seeing it work itself out on the floor. When I met Mark Williams before the season, you know, listen, I didn't know if he was going to make it out of Greensboro, you know, halfway Mm. through, like we knew that was kind of the journey for him, but what you could tell was that he's highly intelligent and he's highly coachable and he wants to get better. Uh, And he has every time out on the floor for the last five games, he's got double digit rebounds, obviously the monster game the other night with 20 rebounds. That's been really good to see from him. He always seems to have kind of a play uh, that, you know, you remember when you leave the arena last night, it was the chase down block of Chris Paul. I mean, dude ran like a deer timed it perfectly. Didn't foul. I mean, a veteran going to the cup. I mean, who knows what he's doing to try to draw contact in that moment. He did a great job. Yeah, there's still some things to work on. Yes, it would have been nice if he had LaMelo these last 18 games to continue to work out that pick and roll. Um, And and You're not going to be able to replace that with anybody else on the team uh, to really develop it the way you want to over these last 18 games. But he's learning in real time. He's getting valuable experience. He's going up against guys that uh, it's good that he's going up against. He's had some big-time matchups. There was a moment in the Suns game where – he, uh, he went up against Kevin Durant and kind of like learned the hard way of what not to do because Durant got a pretty easy block on him. Um, so he'll learn from all that. Yeah, he got two I, I, to block them yeah, twice. Yeah, it, it was, uh, I don't know. The first one was kind of funny. Like you could almost see it in Mark's face. Like, okay, shouldn't have, shouldn't have done it that way. Uh, but <laughs> but I, I, just, I, Oops. I just love how he's improving right before our eyes. And, you know, whatever you want to compare him to, he's, he's good for this organization going forward. Yeah, I, I tweeted this out. Every time Kevin Durant's in town, 
that that's that's the one that's freaky height. I mean, I I can't get used to it. Yeah. It's it's so stupid. I mean, watching him play on the court, and then he moves obviously like he's six three. Handles it. We, we know it's what make what makes Kevin Durant so special. Yeah. But then you're in person, and you see DeAndre Ayton walk through the tunnel, and then you see Kevin Durant, who is equal height to DeAndre Ayton, and DeAndre Ayton, by the way. Crazy athletic big, exactly why he was drafted number one overall over Luka Doncic and then Marvin Bagley, the bad pick. But having DeAndre Ayton go over Luka and be that athletic body and then, oh, here's KD, the guard version of that body, except way skinnier and as skilled as anybody you could find. That's hilarious. And then you're right, Doug, two blocks. It was the same damn play. It was on the it was on the it was on the block or short corner at the same exact spot on the baseline and Mark tries to go over his left shoulder twice. Kevin yeah. Durant, it was, a, it was, it was part him getting to the basketball quickly. And also the fact that he's got an eight foot wingspan and also himself is seven foot. Mark did learn the hard way twice. And I guess didn't try it a third time. Didn't learn after the first. Time. <laughs> well, he probably just, you know, it's everything's moving fast for Mark. You know, it's his first time in the NBA. <laughs> and maybe he's not paying attention to the Jersey number. Look, it's a new, you know, seeing Kevin Durant in his son's Jersey is a weird. He probably is 35. just not registering. <laughs> is that, is that Kevin? Dur- and then he feels the guy on his hip. Right. And, and Kevin Durant's not like a beefy guy. He goes, oh, I got a mismatch here. And then he, you know, flips it around. And is like, oh no, this is not a mismatch. There were three freaks on the court because it was, Mark Williams, it was Kevin Durant, and it was Kai Jones. And I thought, you know, there was one play where Kai Jones actually contested a Kevin Durant three, and I thought made a miss. And I'm like, man, there's only a couple of guys that have the just physical ability to actually challenge a Kevin Durant three. Kai was one of them. But then, of course, Kevin Durant, he learns quickly and was able to bait Kai and and get him on a fake on a mid-range and get him to foul. So, you know, Kai learned yeah. some lessons too. But but the thing with Mark, and this is what surprised me, is how quickly Mark is learning. You know, I expect that he's a smart oh, guy. Yeah. And, and everything I'd heard from Steve Clifford, great work ethic. Steve had, had watched him at Duke and was confident that Mark was going to fit was going to figure it out. But I thought Mark would figure it out in year two. He's already starting to figure yeah. it out, and that should excite uh, Hornets fans everywhere. It, it's the point I've been hammering home constantly about Mark. Like we, you, Nick just talked about it. Any, any portion of basketball he's played freshman year, last 10 games. Awesome. Sophomore year, NCAA tournament. Awesome. Greensboro summer league, go, go to whatever stretch of basketball. And Mark Williams finished that stretch better than he began it. And it's happening right here. And Clifford Nick's right loves too. those guys. He loves finishing better than you start. It's like, this is, that's his lifeblood. That's what he gets. He eats, he eats cereal in the morning and, and in it, he pours a milk that says getting better than you were when you started the season. <laughs> is that, is that, that's the milk he's drinking? Yeah, so he draws it on the milk. I don't know why he does it, but that's what he eats in the morning. That's what he eats for breakfast. Nick told us he was reporting. He he was on. He was live at the scene at, at his breakfast table, and then decided to tell us that. But last thing, Nick's right about the, the crazy plays that you see from Mark. You get one or two every game, and that's what's exciting. I mean, th- there is a awesome highlight from Mark every single contest. The the Chris Paul chase down, the layup and transition was tough. I mean, no, he didn't slam it, but it was a tough layup. So. Really like what you're getting from him, and I really like what we're getting from Nick every single week. I was going to end it there, but now it's weird. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Doug. You got something to say? Well, because here's what I want. I, I have a request <laughs> for Steve Clifford. Uh, you know, even if even if PJ's not back, PJ's coming back eventually. 
please play DSJ more with Mark Williams. Please start DSJ with Mark Williams. 100%. DSJ was th- threw a great lob to Kai Jones. I want him. I want to see him doing that more with Mark Williams. And and also we cannot end this episode without mentioning. And I don't know how many people saw this because it got a little out of hand in the fourth quarter. But Dennis Smith Jr. Yeah. blocked Kevin Durant's shot. And, and and this wasn't a guard getting like a help block when you like just you know maybe maybe they counted as a block but it really was like a strip st- a steal. This was DSJ 1v1 with Kevin Durant in the corner. Kevin fakes, drives on on Dennis Smith. Dennis Smith stays on his hip and jumps about as high as he did to get that bl- to get that dunk that he had in Miami. He jumped about that high to legitimately block Kevin Durant's shot. It's it's one of the craziest things and nobody's going to notice it. Nobody's going to see it. That guy it's is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, 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 it's nuts. Well, you know what sucks? He spoke after the game and I wanted to ask the question, but they were not taking many questions last night and everybody was only there to see Kevin Durant. And so Steve Clifford answered four. I got one or two in. I got one about Gordon Hayward pick and roll. And then Dennis Smith Jr. comes in. I was going to ask him about blocking Kevin Durant, whether that was some, some kind of individual accomplishment. He answered three questions, done. I mean, which is fine, but just, you know, he he walked out, and then, you know, I asked Terry a couple. But I wanted to ask him about that play. He did not go low and do the cheat block thing where he right. blocks it before he brings it above his waistline. Nope. Dennis Smith Jr. challenged that. That that guy, man, if, if he can just be – if he can just hit – you know, I don't know what, 40%. He's he's getting to the free throw line, by the way, four attempts in the last three games at least. So Dennis Smith Jr. is a player. I uh, love what you're getting from him this season. All right, that's Nick Carboni. He joins us every single week. Follow him on Twitter, at Nick Carboni, WCNC. We always appreciate it, man. Thanks for the time once again. Yeah, thank you, guys. Feel better, by the way, and uh, longtime listener. So you guys have both been kind of phlegmy. Uh, is this transmissible through the three box here or are you speaking for the listeners and saying get our bleep together is that what you're saying right now hold on a minute hold on a minute minute. because you are you're on television you have to be at your best both vocally and and just physically be at your best often enough do you have any trade secrets like what's your secret for getting over this time of year when the weather changes and your throat locks up yeah i just make the other person Go on TV. <laughs> Just make I can't do that. I am the other person. <laughs> that's, that's how it is. Well, and, it, and then with the reads, right, that, that's what happens with our lovely sponsors, the people that make all of this possible. And I'm going through the reads, and then I'll try to go. Sometimes I can, if it's pre-planned, I can go to the other person. Um, but if I start to lock up during a read, Doug just laughs at me. He doesn't pick it up. He just He just points and laughs. Like he's Nelson and I am a victim on the Simpsons. That's what happens. Listen, so. I admire you guys. Nobody's taking you guys off the court. You guys aren't coming out of the game. That's what I love about you guys. Nick knows, That's man. True. That's why we have him on every single week. Iron we appreciate man. it once again. Thanks to you for making us your first listen every day. You can catch us anywhere. You get your podcast, make your second listen, Locked On Game to Game. They cover every game from across the association. You can catch that, again, available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, wherever you get your podcast. Have a great rest of your day. We'll be back with you tomorrow. 